Welcome to the Introvertpreneur Podcast. Take a breath because you are in the right place and you can finally stop apologizing for being an introvert. I'm Tara and I've discovered how to thrive as an entrepreneur while being 100% true to myself. Now I want to help you do the same. In these episodes, you're going to find everything you need to build a successful service-based business so you can stop competing with extroverts and grow and market your business with ease. Are you ready? Welcome to a super special episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. So I know I did another episode a couple of weeks ago where I read the first chapter of my upcoming book, and I was going back and forth about doing this, but I think I need to do this. So what I will be doing today is actually reading another chapter of my book that again, is a very raw first draft of this chapter. It is a much longer chapter. It is also the hardest chapter I knew I would have to write. And it's going to be hard for me to even read it as well (laughs) out loud. But I also wanted to share it here on the podcast first, because I mean, eventually I'm going to also have an audiobook of this, like whenever this book gets finished. So I'm going to have to read it again, and I don't want that to be like one of the first times that I do it. So I'm going to share the first time I'm reading it with you. And this one isn't really a business chapter. This is right now, it's chapter six of the book. And the chapter title is The Year That Defined Me. So it's very personal. I knew it was going to be hard to write. It's going to be even harder to read out loud, but we're going to get through this. (laughs) And I will give a warning up front that the main focus of this chapter, the year that defined me, it is about the loss of my parents. So just a warning. I don't want it to trigger anyone. So if you don't want to hear this, absolutely fine. There will be another podcast episode for you in a couple days. But if you want to hear this chapter before the book is released, we're going to get into it right now. So chapter six, the year that defined me. Something changed in me in 2012. I still call this year the worst year of my life, but it also became the catalyst for how I would grow and who I would become. It was Christmas 2011. We knew something was going on with my mom, but as the person who always put others above herself, she would tell us, I'm fine. She wasn't fine, and we knew it. We just didn't know how bad it was. A few months before Christmas, we started to notice some things about my mom that gave us pause. One day, we stopped in for a visit around noon to find my mom still in bed. I had never known my mother to stay in bed past 8 a.m., not even once. When I opened her bedroom door to make sure she was all right, she said, I'm fine, I just had a headache. The people pleaser that she was, she got up and came into the living room to visit with myself and my husband. Within five minutes, as we were having a conversation, she fell asleep in the chair. Again, this had never happened before. But I've experienced bad headaches and migraines, so I 
let it go. A week later, we were talking on the phone. It was normal, casual chit chat about family or current news. And suddenly she put the phone down. Do you want to go outside? I heard her ask her dog, Peanut. Weird, I thought, but maybe he was bothering her to go outside and it will just be a minute. After about five minutes of me listening to sounds on the other end of the phone and her talking to the dog, I realized maybe she thought she had hung up the phone. So I started questioning myself. Did we say goodbye already? But no, we were in the middle of a conversation. Mom, I yelled into the phone. The random sounds of the noise of movement continued, so I continued yelling to try and get her attention. Finally, my mom picked the phone back up and said, Hello? What were you doing? Did you forget about me? I asked, half joking and half concerned. She paused for a few seconds, then said, What do you mean? You just called me. I said, Mom, we've been talking for almost an hour, and then you just put the phone down. She didn't believe me. She either truly didn't believe me or she played it off like she had no idea what I was talking about. So when Christmas of 2011 rolled around a few weeks later, there had been even more incidents. One time she left the water running with the plug in the sink and flooded the kitchen. Another time she left something in the oven. And if it wasn't for my dad, the whole house might have burned down. We were all concerned, but she kept saying she was fine. Nothing was wrong and just wanted to brush it off. My dad was scared to leave her home alone, and we couldn't argue with that. Among ourselves, we worried about dementia, thinking that was the worst-case scenario. We were naive. On Christmas Day, which was a special day in our house, we tried to enjoy it and be present in the moment when it was time to open presents. We realized that my mom had mislabeled everyone's gifts. My brother opened a pajama set for me, and I opened a men's hygiene kit that was supposed to be for him. My mom seemed to be embarrassed, so we tried to laugh it off. However, this was just another sign that something wasn't right. We just couldn't put our finger on what, and she still wouldn't accept if there was something wrong, or she just didn't want to admit it. You see, my mom was the kind of person who put everyone else above herself and above her own needs. Between Christmas and New Year's Day, there were even more incidents. My mom fell a few times. She said she had had a headache and just lost her balance, but we soon discovered that she was covered in bruises. We tried everything to convince her to go to the hospital. She finally did go and was immediately brushed off. For some reason, they did a chest x-ray, and we had no answers. A few days later, after another fall while getting out of the shower, my aunt, who is my mom's sister, finally convinced her to go to the hospital again. This time, they called an ambulance in the hopes that she would be taken more seriously when she arrived. I still remember the day vividly. My dad called me to come up to the hospital. As soon as I walked through the emergency room doors, I saw my dad standing in the waiting room with tears in his eyes. I had never seen my dad shed a tear before, so I knew immediately that something was majorly wrong. I try to be a positive person, so I still held on to hope even as I walked up to my father crying. I looked up at him, hoping to get some good news, or at least news that we could work with. 
He looked down at me, wiped his eyes, and could barely speak when he said, your mom has a brain tumor. At that moment, I couldn't even understand the words that he had just said to me. It made sense logically with everything that has been going on the past few months, but in the big picture, it didn't make sense. This was my mom. I didn't know much about brain tumors, but I knew that that was the worst possible thing that he could have said to me in that moment. When I did speak, I said, what does that mean? I wanted answers. I wanted a plan. That is how my brain works. Always looking for a solution to a problem. I wanted to know what we were going to do to fix this. He said, I don't know, but they want to keep her for more tests. We went into the emergency room and my mom was sitting up on the hospital bed smiling. She was asking us about work and having normal conversations. It was almost surreal. Maybe I didn't hear my dad correctly. After we left the room, I asked my dad, does she not know? Did nobody tell her? Of course she knows, he said. Again, my mother, not wanting to put any stress on anybody else, didn't want to have us feel worried or concerned. She just wanted to hear about our day and how work was going. In the days that followed, I visited the hospital every single day. I still wasn't sure what the plan was or what was going to happen. It seemed like the hospital was taking a wait-and-see approach, which looking back now is really frustrating. My mom seemed to be in good spirits. She was watching TV and on the hospital phone continuously to keep up with her friends and family. I still didn't understand how serious this was. I mean, I knew a brain tumor was serious, but I had no realistic idea about how serious it was. I was still trying to be positive, trying to focus on the future, and not accept the real possibility of what was about to happen. On January 12th, 2012, after my mom had been in the hospital for about 10 days, I received a phone call from my father. We're on our way to Kingston Hospital because your mom won't wake up, he said. Kingston Hospital was about an hour away, and it was the closest, bigger hospital. I still felt like I was having an out-of-body experience, going through the motions, not even sure what was really happening. As soon as I got off the phone, I said to my husband, we need to go. We got in the car and drove to Kingston Hospital to see what was going on. When we arrived there, we were told that my mom went to sleep the night before and then wouldn't wake up. They did some tests and found out that there was too much pressure on her brain. So the Kingston Hospital doctors were going to try to do surgery to relieve the pressure. They told us that the next 24 hours were very critical. If she didn't wake up within those 24 hours, it wasn't looking good. We spent those nights at the hospital. They had family rooms where you could stay and sleep over. In one room, there were about five or six of us just passed out on the floor trying to get any amount of sleep that we could. I woke up first thing the next morning and went down to see my mom. I remember holding her hand and telling her that I couldn't lose her. You have to fight this, I said. Please, I know you can fight this and I know that you can come out of this. Tears were flowing down my face as I said these words, but I could feel her squeeze my hand and I knew that she could hear me. That gave me hope that she would wake up soon. I knew it was going to be okay. Again, I was very naive. People react to grief and trauma differently, 
I realize now that my go-to is not accepting reality. Later that afternoon, the doctors told us that she had spiked a fever and her brain activity was now limited. My father had a very difficult decision to make. The next day, the decision was made to take my mom off of the breathing machine. It still didn't feel real. It felt like I was living a nightmare and just going through the motions. I had cried so much over the last few weeks that I felt like I had no tears left. After my mom was taken off all of the supportive care machines, we all tried to spend as much time in her room as possible, talking to her, holding her hand, and preparing for the inevitable. Watching her chest rise and fall, we could tell that her breathing was getting even slower. The time was coming, and nobody was prepared for it. I stood on the left side of her bed, holding her hand, which were warm to the touch. It almost felt like it was on fire. Her sister was standing on the right side of her bed as we watched her breathing slowly stop. My husband came into the room and held me while this was happening. I couldn't take my eyes away from her face while envisioning what she was feeling right now. I wondered if she knew that she was leaving us and was worried about how we were all going to cope with this incredible loss. My mom was the glue that held everyone together. As I held her hand, my mom took her last breath. I had never been in the same room when someone died, and to have that person be my best friend and my mother was the hardest thing in the world. As she inhaled and then exhaled her final breath, a single large tear rolled down her cheek. I took this as her goodbye and a sign that she will miss us almost as much as we will miss her. After my mom's passing, we were all lost, but especially my father. My parents had been together for so many years, and my mom was such a caretaker. My dad was truly lost without her. I tried to be there for him as much as I could while dealing with my own pain. I tried to push my grief aside so that I could be strong for everyone else. But that same awful year, 2012, in November, the worst happened again. Less than two weeks after my father's 60th birthday, we would lose him as well. It was November 3rd, 2012, and I received another awful phone call. My dad's friend told me that he had just had a stroke and was in the hospital. Again, when I heard those words, I couldn't comprehend what was just said to me over the phone. How could this be happening again? I was angry this time. Anger surged through me because I didn't understand why our family was given this horrible year that couldn't get any worse. When we arrived at the hospital, we were taken into a quiet room with the doctor. It was just me and my husband. Both of my older brothers were at work. So sitting across from us, the doctor said, your father did have a stroke and it is bleeding. We are doing everything we can right now to stop the bleeding but he will likely have a long road to recovery. Recovery. That was the word I held on to. Recovery was a positive word, and it meant that he would eventually be okay. We would do whatever we had to to make that happen. I immediately looked up the work phone number for my brothers and called them. Walking into the ICU room, I could see my father lying in the bed. He looked small, and that was very terrifying to me. 
I didn't know what to expect based on what the doctor had just told us, but my father was awake. He was talking to us. He was coherent. This made me feel even more positive. My dad was his normal jokester of a self. He was talking about his trip to Florida that he was supposed to leave for in just two or three days. He was talking about sports to my husband. He seemed to be himself, and that made me feel like I could actually breathe again. When we left the hospital that night, I was scared, but I also had hope. The word recovery just kept repeating over and over in my head. The next morning, I woke up to a phone call from the hospital. As a side note here, maybe this is why I no longer like talking on the phone. It's always bad news. They told me that something had changed overnight and I needed to get back up there. My husband and I immediately got dressed and headed back to the hospital. When we arrived, another doctor told us that they ran another scan. And unfortunately, the bleeding had not only not stopped, it had gotten worse. Here comes the numbness of feelings and not knowing what's real. They basically told us that there wasn't anything else they could do, and my father was put on a breathing machine. I'm not sure what changed, but suddenly we were told later that day that they were going to transfer him to Ottawa Hospital. That was another point of encouragement for me. If they were transferring him, that meant there was something that they could do. I'm feeling positive again and not accepting the truth. Later that night, they airlifted my father to Ottawa Hospital, and we loaded up into my aunt and uncle's van to make the drive there. When we arrived, we went in and met with the doctor. Those of us who made the trip were me, my older brother Brian, my aunt, her husband, and my uncle Ronnie, who is my father's brother. The doctor showed us the actual scans to talk about what possible procedure they would be doing and how it could affect his brain moving forward. The reality was, at this point, with the amount of bleeding in his brain, it meant that they would have to remove a portion of his brain. We were told that he may need assistance for life and may never be able to walk again. He may never be able to talk again or even feed himself. But it was our decision if we were to move forward. Because there were three of us, me and my two older brothers, we were going to do a vote. My other brother, Trevor, was still on his way to Ottawa, but I was adamant in my vote. I knew the risks before even making the trip to Ottawa. I knew what this was going to look like, and I was fully prepared to take care of my father for the rest of his life. I did not want to lose him. After speaking to my uncle Ronnie, I realized that this wasn't what my dad actually would want. He wouldn't want to live like that, and as hard as it was, I had to make the hard decision. Uncle Ronnie and I headed back into the hospital to share that I had changed my mind and was going to be aligned with my brother Brian's decision. However, when we walked back into the room, the doctor looked at me and I knew he could see all over my face how hard this was. He then said, we ran more tests and the bleeding has gotten a lot worse just since he's been here. The decision is no longer yours to make. I will not be doing this operation. I'm sorry. At that moment, that was really hard to hear. That was closing the door on any option that we had that didn't end with losing my dad. Just 10 months after I lost my mom, I was going to lose my dad. But looking back, I'm glad that we didn't have to make that decision. We would have always wondered, did we do the right thing? My positivity and denial didn't give up though, even after hearing that news and the doctor's final decision. They decided to airlift him back to the hospital in our city. 
we would again have to make the difficult decision to take him off of life support. After arriving back home and being up all night from the travel, we huddled in his hospital room as the machines were removed. As I said, my positivity and denial still weren't done. I looked at how many breaths per minute the machine was running at before it was disconnected, and I spent several hours over the next day counting my father's breaths per minute on his own. He was breathing faster than the machine, I thought to myself. That means there's hope. Miracles happen all the time. Maybe we will get a miracle. Unfortunately, 2012 was not a year for miracles. Again, I was in the room, along with my two older brothers and my husband, as my father took his last breath. I was numb. I couldn't feel anything at this point. I didn't understand what was real. I couldn't focus on anything. I could barely function. I'm sharing these painful stories of grief, not because I want to talk about it, but because 2012 shaped who I became and who I am. It was the worst, most awful year of my life, but it showed me a strength inside myself that I never knew was possible. 2012 taught me many valuable but hard lessons. One such lesson is that life is short. You never know what is going to happen and you have to make the most of it. My father worked for General Motors for over 30 years. He worked hard. He drove four hours to work and back in total every day for 30 years. He was able to retire early, but he didn't get any of his Canada pension plan. He received his first check after his 60th birthday, which was just days before he passed away. He had very little time to enjoy his retirement. It wasn't fair and it wasn't right. I took that as a valuable lesson that I want to build my own path. I want to build a life that is filled with freedom and fun. That's why I wanted to go into entrepreneurship, and it's why it continues to drive me forward, even on the days when entrepreneurship feels pretty hard. I've been through a lot harder things than entrepreneurship, but my determination is unwavering. That is the chapter. That was so hard to read. Oh my gosh, you guys. Okay. That was hard for me to read and share. Like I said, that is the very raw first draft. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more added to this. It definitely needs some polishing up, but it felt like a weight was lifted once I actually got this chapter out of my head. I had to take myself back there and feel some of the feelings again. So I knew that this chapter was going to be very hard for me to write and very hard for me to get out. But I think now that this piece of the book is at least first draft ready, now I'm going to be able to finish the rest of this book and it's going to be a lot easier. The rest of it will just flow out of me and I'm so excited to get this into the hands of people who need it. So that is really my powerful story. 2012 was a very tough year for me and my family and it definitely shaped who I am as a person. And I definitely have taken a lot of the feelings and lessons from that year, from losing my parents into building my own business and why it is so important to me. So I would love to hear your thoughts. If you want to send me an email or reach out, I would love it. 
but I can't wait to get this book out. And I'm so excited that it is going to happen. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. You can join me at thetarareed.com where you can find tons of blog posts and resources that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach, where I share more introvert-friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.